Alright, listen up. If you're not happy with the way your site's performing, give me a call. Or you can just check out uh, my free webinar, Why All E-Commerce Sites Fail. Uh, it's at nadimo.com slash free. N-A-D-I-M-O dot com slash free for the free webinar. Check it out now. Enjoy the show. You have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something. Your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Stay hungry. 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 Foolish. Foolish. Stay hungry. Stay foolish. Welcome to E-Commerce All-Stars, brought to you by Nadimo.com, where we help e-commerce entrepreneurs accelerate growth through modern technology and innovative thinking. Hey everyone, thanks for joining today's show with your host Brandon Mosco, of course. And today I'm excited to have Steve Dennis on the line. He's the author of Remarkable Retail. Uh, and it's a book that's been referred to by Seth Godin as required reading for anyone who runs a store or shops. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I never, I don't generally endorse things on my show, but I really thought this was a fantastic book and I'm not surprised. I mean, I know Steve's been working on it for quite some time. Um, and I've been really looking forward to getting my hands on a copy, and as soon as I did, I just I just basically consumed it. Um, now, because I consumed it so quickly, I may not have all the details, which is obviously why I brought Steve on the phone. But one of the things I want to kind of preface it with uh, for everybody, he's basically broken the book down into two fantastic parts. Uh, one talks about shift happens and really talks about the things that really got me was uh, the end of scarcity, and he talks about everything from uh, information scarcity to to uh, the ability to buy things so much quicker now, and, and and get you know get those things in your hands faster online and all these types of ways. Uh, and talks about the apocalypse. No, is one of the chapters, and one of the things that was in there that I found very insightful fact for people who are in retail, but also for people who are in e-commerce for the opposite of reasons. Um, it's e-commerce still represents only 11% of total retail sales in the U.S. So as a retailer, that should really inspire you to know that, hey, you know, as, as he says later on, um, or whether e-commerce is eating the world, which again conjures up images of zombie apocalypse to me but anyway one of the things that you have to keep in mind as a retailer is you know e-commerce still only represents a very small piece of all of retail and then on the flip side as an e-commerce person to me i look at that as an opportunity um, but that said it's still a very small piece when you really factor that all out um, and these, that's the you know, he starts with the facts and the figures and interesting antidotes, like I mentioned there. But the most powerful part of this book really gets into part two, which is the basically remarkable retail and the journey of remarkable retail. And he covers off eight essentials of remarkable retail. And for those who are out there right now, your stores are closed because of COVID. If uh, you're listening to it during all of this, um, now is the best time of all to pick up his book and read about those eight essentials and start getting those ready to be put into practice for the second the second you can. You may even be able to start getting some of those put in place as your stores are closed. 
Um, but anyway, that's my introduction. I know it was a little long-winded. I apologize, Steve, but uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was that was very kind and generous of you, so I appreciate that very much. And I would love it if you could just, you know, jump right in and start telling us a little bit more about the book. And I mean, you could even start with the journey of what, what led you to getting this book moving in the first place, because I know it's been a, it has been a long time coming for you. Yeah, it has. Um, I kind of joke around at the end in the acknowledgments that uh, I've wanted to write a book for a long time, and I, I got here as fast as I could. Um, but I think if going back a number of years, I've always enjoyed writing. I always felt, and I guess a lot of authors talk about this idea, they have a book in them and it just like needs needs to come out. And I I, I felt that way for a while and I actually started down some other paths and for various reasons, um, they didn't really come to, come to fruition or I didn't get excited enough about them to get them across the finish line. Um, but probably three or four years ago, uh, when I started to do more keynote speaking and had to really figure out what I wanted to say and how I wanted to package it, um, I started just working on some, some different thoughts and some of them were very much things that were already parts of frameworks that I had used in my corporate life. So particularly when I was the head of strategy at the Neiman Marcus group many years ago, um, some of the ideas definitely were formulated there. And then when I went off on my own on consult in as a consultant 10 years or so ago, whatever it was, um, um, I just felt like I needed some sort of framework to help explain what I saw going on in retail and um, providing some sort of prescription. I don't want to say formula because I don't think it should be a formula, but some sort of guideposts, I guess, mm -hmm. to making the changes. And so um, it's really been an iterative process for a few years. And then um, as the more I worked on it, both on my own, researching some companies, working with clients, speaking. Um, it just all started to come together. But, you know, eventually I had to sit down and really write the damn thing. So um, I really I really started that in earnest, I guess, a couple of years ago now. And uh, um, here we are with, uh, with the book, book on its way or, or out at this point. Yeah. Well, for those who don't know, when we recorded the show, it's about a week away, and now it's now it's out there. So, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's out there. Go get it. Uh, one of the funny things was I was reading, and like I said, I read it quickly, and at first glance, I'm like, wasabi, what, what, what? And then I read it again. I'm like, oh, he's talking about wabi sabi, and yeah. I'm not gonna. I don't want to ruin anything for for the book, and I don't, you know, because it is near the end. But I mean, I thought. That that section of the book, and it's, I mean, for those, you're on the internet right now, you can look up what Wabasabi is, um, or I'll let, uh, Den I'll let Dennis talk, uh, sorry, Dennis, I'll let Steve talk about it a little bit more here, but the whole, the whole concept of that related so much back to the very beginning of the book that, you know, it just speaks to what a good book it was and how, how it just, everything comes full circle throughout your whole writing process, and, and to have, taken it on and, and made it, it, I mean, writing a book is a very, when you write a good book, it's a long process and a long journey in itself. And I think that, that tying it all together like that was just really, really such a, a cool 
piece and and i mean i'm always i always like learning things and to be honest that was something that just i was like oh well, that's kind of an interesting take on things and uh, well anyhow. i will i will let people um check out the the definition for themselves or discover it in the book but it, yeah. it's a little bit um i will say without giving too much away one of the things that um as you know is the theme of the book uh relates to uh just how how volatile and uncertain a world we live in and i think certainly going through the the covid-19 crisis is a real you know obvious illustration of that but mm-hmm. but even aside from that just the pace of the disruption that retail's seen over the past 10 to 20 years and how so much change is accelerating and i think um certainly from my experience but also some of the retailers i've i've worked with as a consultant or or studied you know there's this sense of uh you know we have to get everything right we have to be ready to change or to transform um and almost like this perfectionism that uh you know either we have as individuals or or cultures of organizations keep so many companies stuck and um you know when i look at the part of what i talk about in the latter part of the book is when i look at the retailers that find themselves in trouble today and not not because of the pandemic i mean because of uh prior to that and you know perhaps made worse by the pandemic you know most of those companies watched the last 20 years happen to them and many of them were afraid to experiment and take risks and right. um and you know and therefore they they didn't innovate in the way they should so so there's this whole kind of riff that goes on in the last couple of chapters of the book about um you know we're never quite ready and we have to be comfortable with with imperfection but the ironic thing about it to me is that uh this is probably obvious to people but this is my first book uh you know you write this thing um and you spend a lot of time on it and i was fortunate to have uh, a great editor and a great editorial and publishing team that really helped me um in many many ways and it made it a much better book than it would have otherwise been um but then you know when you're when the book comes out and i go back and read it and in particular in particular when i was recording the audiobook um there's just lots of things i would have done differently you know it's like oh yeah you know, now you know now with the passage of time or now that i read that or hear it uh you know there was a better way to explain it or a better way to to express it but but you know there's you have to uh you have to put stuff out there you know and yeah. and it might not work and you know that's part of the process i mean a book's just a little bit more more permanent than a than a speech or a Forbes article or blog post or podcast or or what have you but um but that's that's part of the thing you have to be you have to be willing to fail and um and uh you know try to do so smartly but uh be comfortable with the, with uh, being uncomfortable <laughs> be comfortable with 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 being uncomfortable i think that's so well said and it's actually quite important for a lot of people um just in general especially um i mean it's just get yourself out there in so many ways so important and i mean for everybody in every industry and, and throughout social media what have you like just you know but the also the the concept of authenticity i thought was kind of important as well from what i saw there um but yeah i think there's a lot of gimmick sorry to interrupt i was just going to say quickly i think there's a lot of um things that 
and particularly when retailers find themselves in, in crisis where they're reacting more to situations and oftentimes they have to play significant catch up. Um, and that oftentimes I think causes people to, to latch onto something they don't necessarily really understand or do something gimmicky or just copy, you know, some cool brand, you know, added a coffee shop and yoga. So now we're going to add a coffee shop and yoga. And, you know, that I'm not saying those are automatically bad ideas, but, um, they're not necessarily, um, you know, really authentically part, part of your brand. And I, I think customers, customers notice that. Um, and so you have to really pay attention to the things that, that make sense for your brand and, um, reinforce that image. Mm -hmm. One of the things you start the book with is something I've heard you say a few times and I've, I've read, um, on various pieces you put together. Um, and it's physical retail isn't dead. Boring retail is, um, do you yep. want to elaborate on that? I think that's a great kind of kickoff point too, because I mean, that's how so, so you start your book, right? <laughs> so. Sure. Well, uh, for better or worse, I've gotten a fair amount of notoriety for that, for that statement, um, over the last couple of years. And, um, I actually more or less stole it or slightly modified it from something that somebody else said. Um, but the, the point I've been trying to make, uh, well, first it was in response to this idea of the retail apocalypse, which right. as you mentioned, I spent, I spent a whole chapter just trying to, um, really challenge that myth. Um, not that physical retail isn't very different, not that there aren't a lot of stores closing. Um, but to really try to say, you know, this broad statement of a retail apocalypse is really not accurate. Um, you know, there's plenty of data, which I go into to support that. Um, and actually to the extent there is anything that you might, um, call, uh, an apocalypse, it, it's, you know, really concentrated in a very few parts of the retail industry. The, the vast majority of store closings are concentrated among a particular set of retailers that fall into what I call the, the mediocre or boring middle. Um, so, um, and then the other thing is, I think just even talking, which is something I, I definitely spend a lot of time on the book um, going into, is even talking about this distinction between physical retail and e-commerce, I think is really not terribly helpful. Um, the best retailers are um, almost always uh, focused on providing, you know, really thinking about the customer as the channel and providing a very integrated or harmonized, as I talk about in the book, experience, uh, understanding that digital drives physical and physical drives um, e-commerce and vice versa. And it's just all sort of one one thing. And so um, it may very well be the case in certain retail categories that you need fewer stores and or the stores you have need to be smaller, but the idea that physical retail is going away is, you know, it's just ridiculous, really. I mean, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to say as you, you know, there's some different statistics, but, um, you know, depending on whose statistics you want to believe when physical retail is between 85 and 90% of 
all retail and is still growing. And there's lots of retailers that are opening many, many stores. It's just kind of silly to, to act as if physical retail is going away. It's just really different. And, and it implies some different, different strategies and different responses, particularly depending which category you're in. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'll, I'll just add a small little two bits to that. And that there's often cool. that people are often looking at it as a divide, you know, retail versus e-commerce and that sort of thinking. But um, like you said, the two are really harmonized. They need to be nowadays too. I mean, it's, it's no longer just a storefront or just an e-commerce present presence. Um, in some cases, yes, it is. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not, this isn't what I'm saying is it's only, you know, black and white, but, the truth is, is, you know, there is, I think there's a big part of all of it being, I like your word of harmonized, I can't even say the word, but um, I like that word uh, as opposed to going into the, you know, the, the clichéic words of, you know, omni, omni-channel and, and those types of things, which, I mean, do also speak to it, but I think it is important to note that, I mean, I, I started off with statistic of 11%. Um, and like you just mentioned, 85 to 90. But the other side of that is how accurate is that when when e-commerce, like Nike, for example, has their Nike.com division. And, I mean, they actually sell different product there. Their number one seller in that division is their customized shoe. Yep. People are going there to buy a custom shoe that they design themselves. Um, but it's still Nike. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. it's the brand is bigger than the channel, I guess you could say, for lack of proper terminology. But anyhow, those are just my thoughts. No, well, I think I think those are good points. I think there are a couple couple things um, that I get into a little bit. I mean, one is I absolutely believe and I and, and I start off um, talk about this in a couple of different places. But I think that, you know, customers uh don't think of brands as operating in different channels. I, I I think I mentioned this in the book. I've done a lot of customer research over the years. I've worked in um things I guess you'd call multi-channel integration since 1999. Never ever hear customers talk about the e-commerce channel, the store channel. I mean to them, particularly over time, you're, you're shopping with the brand and sometimes you're going to shop online and sometimes you're going to shop in the store and sometimes you're going to research online to go into the store and sometimes you're going to go into the store and ultimately transact online. Um, and so, I mean, I just think it's, it's, it's just a blur. Um, I talk about brands being horizontal and unfortunately most retailers tend to be vertically oriented, you know, organized by their channel and their um, marketing departments and however they, happen to keep score. Um, so you have to break down that, that siloed thinking and, um, and blow up the siloed data and pull it all together on behalf of the customer. The other thing I think, which has really, really become critical in the last several years is just the ubiquity, uh, at least among affluent people in developed nations, the ubiquity of smart devices. And, you know, when you have customers, 
like one of the things I say in the book, um, which is really a line from Google, which is customers no longer go online, they live online. And when customers pretty much have their smart device tethered to them, you know, you can be shopping in a nanosecond. You know, no longer is it like, oh, I'm going to go to the store or when I get home from the office, I'm going to get on my uh, home computer and, and surf the web. You know, that people still do that, obviously, to a degree. But the smart devices just really break down um, those barriers. And so, you know, I often talk about, you know, in the old days, we talked about the best location. You know, real retail was, you know, all about real estate and it was all about location, location, location. But now, you know, the best location is is wherever your customer happens to be with their smart device because, you know, there's certainly some exceptions. But for the most part, um, you know, so many shopping journeys either start on a mobile phone or are somehow or, or other influenced by a mobile phone. So I don't know, you know, is a mobile phone an e-commerce transaction or is it a brick and mortar transaction? And does it really matter? That's a good question. And the truth of it is, is what you just said in the very beginning, which is customers don't think of brands selling in different channels, right? And so, I mean, the end all be all is, does it matter? Because it's really, how is the customer seeing it? Uh, if the customer sees it as divided, I think you're facing a problem. You have an issue right. where that needs to be yeah. resolved because, I mean, they shouldn't see it as different channels. They should see it as yeah. one one experience, so to speak. Yeah, and you know, and it turns out, and you know, I certainly have not seen, um, you know, every retailer's internal data, not even close. But um, even even going back to my days at Neiman Marcus, and I left there in 2008, and I can't um, I can't speak, you know, too much to um, their specific data, but I can tell you that even way back then, um, we wherever we had a store, um, we still saw an awful lot of e-commerce shopping because I think originally we thought about it because Neiman Marcus has relatively few stores, you know, say compared to a Macy's or mm-hmm. Home Depot or something like that. You know, we sort of thought that e-commerce was just kind of putting our mail order catalog online and that that was you know, NeimanMarcus.com and BrookGoodman.com and our other web properties, that was sort of the Neiman Marcus store for those people that didn't have a Neiman Marcus store, which was, you know, quite a lot of cities and rural areas and so forth. Um, and that was certainly true, but it was also true that some of our best performing zip codes online were zip codes that had Neiman Marcus stores. And so even, you know, 12 years ago, in the you know fairly early days of of what we would call multi-channel or omni-channel, we were seeing this cross-channel behavior, and we were seeing actually relatively few customers that you could really characterize as online only. And certainly, um, as I've seen more examples of this, and I think the digitally native vertical brands like Warby Parker and Bonobos and Untucket and so forth, um, you know, they've they've really seeing this this kind of reverse phenomenon where they started online and now as as I'm sure you know and many people know they're opening quite a lot of stores which is you know fairly ironic in and of itself but um 
you know, they, they typically open their stores where they have the most online customers and they see, you know, obviously they have a pickup of new customers from opening the store, but they actually tend to see their online business in that trade area go up when they open a store. So I think it just, you know, it's about being intensely customer relevant and remarkable in your brand and then putting the pieces together um, to provide that best overall experience. However, your customers want to shop. And, you know, in some cases, like I said, I mean, that may mean fewer stores um, or smaller stores, but mostly I think it means different stores. You know, you just have to understand that the role of the store in many cases has evolved and will continue to evolve. Um, but one of the things I talk about in the book is, and I've talked about in my, my keynotes for a couple of years now, is, is this idea of whether, particularly for a legacy retailer, whether you fundamentally see your stores as assets or liabilities. And I think there was definitely a narrative, you know, it's probably a sub chapter of this apocalypse, retail apocalypse story that, um, you know, stores are going away, stores are bad. So why would you have stores? And, you know, that I think kind of got a lot of retailers maybe unduly pressured by Wall Street to think that closing stores was going to be the way they were going to become relevant. And in many cases, um, Sears being a classic example where I worked many years ago, you know, really disinvesting in their stores, you know, even the stores they had, they're putting almost no money into them. And I think that just creates a more of a downward spiral. Um, but I think some retailers like Best Buy, Target and others have really understood that their stores need to be different, but they're fundamentally assets in, in winning and growing customers. And so I think once you see that your stores can be assets, you, and, and you understand their role in the kind of the whole ecosystem of how your brand works, then you change them, but you fundamentally invest in them because you understand that they're going to be important to your success going forward. Hmm. That's a really, really interesting take on that, actually. Um, yeah, I'm actually sitting here a little bit speechless at this point, which is kind of hard for me. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, just because quite frankly, what you just said was just, you know, there was some information in there that, you know, I've heard before, which is, you know, the, the retail, uh, locations, uh, actually increase your e-commerce success, um, and that sort of thing. But just, you know, just the overall thought process of how all of that works together in conjunction with each other and how, and how your store can be an asset in the sense of, of driving, well, it drives sales, right? I mean, the end all and be all is just store drive sales. And like you're saying, if it's online or not, does that really matter? Um, is really what it comes back to in some ways as well. Yeah. Um, well, I think you, you know, one of the things which I, which I hopefully do an okay job of in the book is to try to, I mean, <laughs> one of the hard things about writing, um, a book about retail, well, there's two things I think that are, that are hard. One is, uh, yeah, it's changing so quickly. And so I know before we started the call, you know, I said one of the things I was, I was worried about was just writing something back, you know, in the summer of 2019 that's not going to get read until the spring of 2020 or later. And, and, you know, uh, being, uh, 
accurate and helpful and, and so forth. It's, it's a tough balance. But the other thing is, you know, retail is a huge industry. And so trying to comment on, on strategy, um, for, you know, every retailer, big and small, you know, grocery store, luxury, you know, I mean, it's, a, it's, you know, it's an incredible diversity. And so, you know, absolutely there are no one size fits all strategies, though. I think, you know, from my experience, the eight essentials, um, you know, work pretty well across um, a number of different sectors and you have to just kind of figure out the right mix of ingredients for your brand. But the other thing is that, um, and it's one of the reasons why I also kind of hate the retail apocalypse narrative, but I also hate the kind of um, dismissive uh, statement that, well, you know, particularly from people with vested interests in physical retail and commercial real estate of like, well, don't worry because retail or uh, e-commerce is only 10 or 11%. And, you know, while that is a true statement, um, you know, your, your mileage will vary, right? I mean, in the case of, uh, and I t- mentioned this in the book that, you know, you, Blockbuster Borders and a bunch of other companies got completely uh, destroyed by e-commerce. You know, once, once Amazon and Netflix and others came in, and, uh, you know, if your primary product line could be digitally downloaded and there was really, you know, very little incremental value to the customer by going into a physical store, though, you know, we are seeing a little bit of a resurgence in independent bookstores, which I think is awesome. Uh, but, you know, there clearly were some, you know, apocalyptic uh, outcomes from kind of the first and second waves of, of e-commerce. Um, and you also see some really different e-commerce penetrations, you know, groceries like 3%, I think apparel is now getting close to 25%. So, and, you know, and it varies based upon price point. So, um, you know, you really have to look at your particular circumstances and not kind of buy into these broad pronouncements about a really huge industry, because if, if you do, you can really make, you know, you can either... Well, mostly you lull yourself maybe into a, a sense of, of false security. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that I actually liked about your book was you have those eight essentials, um, but they're not, it's not written in such a way like, here's the first thing you do, here's the second thing you do. And, and like you said, it's not um, no two retail situations are the same, right? And And I run into that a lot with people as well whether it's you know every strategy has to be unique in some form or fashion everything has to be you know i call it customized and customized is my big word that i use all the time in everything but i mean quite frankly i think everything has to be you have to be able to make those you know you can't just go and be very rigid and say okay i'm applying these these eight essentials but they're there they're really laid out well so you understand them and you can figure out how to utilize those within your business um, and figure out what's going to work for your business, so to speak. And I think that's the most important thing that's missing a lot in today's business world. So that if for a lot, like not just retail, and I think like what you said with every, like so retail being such a wide span, same with e-commerce, same thing. I run into that just with my podcast itself, so trying to write an entire book on, on it in, you know, on retail, like you've done, 
I mean, and trying to stay relevant in the same vein, it's very, yeah, it would have been very difficult. Um, but now I've completely lost where I was going with that point. So, <laughs> and you're probably going, thank you, because I just wanted to say some more things here, Brandon. So, it's a bit, no, anyway. <laughs> no, um, no, well, I, I, well, I, I think, and, and one of the things, um, and, you know, it remains to be seen, uh, I guess, ultimately, what the impact on my book will be. Um, and, you know, it's sort of a selfish thing, I suppose, to write a book, but, you know, there, there aren't that many, um, really good retail books. And, um, I'm, I'm fortunate that I think one of the best ones, um, was called Why We Buy by Paco Underhill. And Paco was nice enough to, to, um, write an endorsement for me, which I really appreciate. Um, but the thing that Paco does in that book and some of his subsequent work is he really, I think, gets down to some basic underlying principles of consumer psychology. And I think, you know, he makes some very broad points and then talks about how they can be applied. And, um, but, you know, some of the other retail books, I think, you know, they're either sort of reflections on history, which are nice, or, you know, they, they try to describe the future. And, you know, I certainly, I guess, get into some things that I expect to happen, but I think that trying to predict the future uh, with any accuracy in today's retail environment is, is kind of a fool's errand. Um, you know, or they just get to some very basic um, sort of platitudes and principles. And so, um, you know, what I try to do is strike a balance. And I guess this has kind of been, been the way my career has evolved, spending the first 20 years or so in, in, um, executive roles at retailers and then the last 10 or so as a consultant is to try to get this balance between some of the more high level design principles or conceptual pieces. Um, but also be very mindful about, well, what does it really take to implement? And, um, you know, to be sort of an architect and a builder all in one. And, um, I think, you know, some, some books, whether they're about retail or otherwise, are, you know, pretty heavy on the high level design principles. Some are very tactical, uh, but not too many bridge, bridge those two worlds. And so that's what I've tried to do, whether, you know, I've done it successfully, I guess, I guess we'll see. Uh, but, um, uh, and you know, and I think there's also just a little bit of, um, of, uh, philosophy and psychology at the end, maybe too, because I do think just kind of hearkening back to, to something we started with. Um, and it's really part of essential number eight, which I call radical, which is about this, um, you know, really developing the innovation habit and a culture of experimentation. Um, is a lot of it about being successful in retail, I think is about walking through our fear. Um, you know, our individual fears, leaders, and the, the things that keep, um, keep organizations and cultures stuck. So it's not just about having some kind of formula or framework, um, or principles. It's also about some, you know, personal challenges, frankly. And, you know, I didn't want to get too heavy into that because that's a whole other book and maybe that'll be my next book. But, um, you know, my observation has been, um, and I don't really talk about this too much in the book, but I've, I've talked about it in, in other venues, um, like particularly during my, just real quickly, particularly during my time at Sears, 
I was there 12 years and in a lot of different roles. And sometimes people were like, hey, you worked in strategy for part of that time. Didn't you see what was happening? And, you know, why didn't you guys do anything about it? And, um, you know, and some of this is 2020 hindsight, but I, but I can assure you there were lots of things during my time there that we understood well. Um, in fact, a guy on my team built this really cool market share model about how basically Sears was going to lose market share to Home Depot and Best Buy and, um, and others over time if we didn't act. And, um, if you go back and look at that thing, um, it was actually pretty, pretty accurate in terms of its predictive quality. So we knew these things were happening, but we just, you know, couldn't, couldn't act on them, um, for various reasons, which is also probably a whole other book. But you no, know, it's, 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 you know, the difference between knowing and doing is often, often pretty huge. And so I think, you know, we have to be aware of what's going on. We have to accept that that's the reality. But ultimately, if we don't act, you know, it doesn't matter how well we score on the first two. Uh, you know, we're still we're still going to get ourselves into trouble, most likely. Right. Well, one of the things that I just want to mention to the listeners today is um, with regards to your your uh, eight essentials component, because I think that's I mean, there's a lot of good information in this book, uh, but the eight essentials. I think of them for retail as I think of just good business books that are out there that have stood the test of time so far. I mean, they're not necessarily super old, but to me anyways, um, you know, you look at the seven habits of successful people, probably got the name on that one wrong, or you go, or good to great by, you know, Jim Collins, I think his mm-hmm. name was. Yeah. Um, and those types of things. And, and really they talk about, principles or like essentials like you've done in your book and i think that's what really makes your book to me stand out as a as a really really great as let's put it this way as a remarkable book for retail um thanks i see what you did there ah that was pretty good i thought (laughs) (laughs) um anyway i really think that like you know you have that element to this book and that's really why i think this is a book that's going to stand stand out and needs to be read by by people um, and really on that note, I'd just like to, to kind of let you finish off with any final thoughts or any words of wisdom that you wanted to share that I haven't given you an opportunity to, to say. Um, and then I'm going to wrap it up for us. Sure. Well, um, I appreciate that and I appreciate all the, the kind words. Um, I mean, I, I, I think the two things I typically say when I get asked a question like that is, you know, just make sure that we, we go deeper and, um, you know, get into more depth and, and develop more insight about our customers, you know, whether we're, we're finding ourselves in, in this crazy pandemic crisis, um, or whether, you know, we're just sort of the normal course of business, which is, which is pretty challenging and, and ever changing. Um, the more we understand our customers at, um, a personalized level, the better off we'll be. And then, you know, back to some of the things I said earlier, it's about that willingness to take risk, not, not be reckless or like, you know, free for all. Um, but to understand those things that are going to really make your brand memorable and remarkable and intensely customer relevant and, and experiment with them. Um, because I think as we've seen those folks that, uh, 
did not take those chances are, are typically the ones that are well, already bankrupt or, or edging towards the precipice, unfortunately. Well, again, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for your knowledge drop into in the form of your book. Um, and yeah, just thanks for being on the show. And one last piece I want to put out there for everybody. Um, the uh, endorsement that he was talking about by Paco was skip that online course at Wharton and just buy this book. And I'd have to, I'd have to second that. I've not taken the, I haven't taken the Wharton course, but uh, I think the book is probably well worth the investment. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little a little cheaper than going to Wharton, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it is, yes. <laughs> so thanks again, Steve. You bet. Well, thanks for having me. You have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something. Your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Stay hungry. Stay hungry. 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 Foolish. 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 Stay hungry. Stay foolish. Welcome to E-Commerce All-Stars, brought to you by Nadimo.com, where we help e-commerce entrepreneurs accelerate growth through modern technology and innovative thinking.